Real quick, before we get started, I want to share a free resource I have to help you get better outcomes for your clients. The Visceral Referral Cheat Sheet will teach you the connection between common musculoskeletal pains and movement dysfunction and the associated visceral organs. Using this cheat sheet will allow you to make sure no stone is left unturned when creating a true whole body treatment plan of care that will get you great results for your clients. Head on over to unrealresultspod.com to download your free cheat sheet today or click on the link in the show notes. Hey there and welcome. I'm Anna Hartman and this is Unreal Results, a podcast where I help you get better outcomes and gain the confidence that you can help anyone, even the most complex cases. Join me as I teach about the influence of the visceral organs and the nervous system on movement, pain, and injuries, all while shifting the paradigm of what whole body assessment and treatment really looks like. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive in. So today I wanted to share about the swelling protocol. Um, It's come up a lot in the last um, few weeks for my clients and um, every time I use it I'm just like reminded how amazing it is and how amazing our body is in healing and and actually how much or how little swelling there can be after an injury by design. I think sometimes um, people just assume because you had an injury that it's normal for swelling to be there. And where while, yes, swelling is a normal response to an injury, right? The inflammatory response. And we want that to happen because that is the mechanism of which repair starts in the tissue, right? Is that inflammatory response. Oftentimes, it becomes stagnant or overwhelmed, congested, and then that congestion leads to actually suboptimal conditions for healing of the tissue. And so when what I've noticed from this swelling protocol that I use is that when the body is able to do its thing, there is a influx of swelling, but then it actually subsides very quickly after injury. Um, and, and is there more on a micro level than a macro level that we see with like huge ankles or huge knees after injuries. And so um, I really believe from experience that no one should suffer from swollen joints, swollen limbs for longer than like 48 hours really post-injury. If swelling is continuing that's a concern, right? Like that's an active irritant within the joint or within the tissue that's creating more of an inflammatory response. You know, in cases of acute injuries like rolling your ankle, that insult that damaged the tissues, once it's over, it's over, right? So swelling should actually 
happen and then gradually decrease over time, not stay the same or even get worse. And it is so common though to have athletes come to you weeks, days, weeks, even months sometimes after an injury like an ankle sprain and still have swelling. And so what does that mean? Is It means there's something going on systemically that's preventing normal blood flow and normal lymphatic flow from getting from accessing the area. And so that is exactly what the protocol does. So um, the movement rev swelling reduction protocol is what I call it. It's sort of like uh, from years of, you know, using different strategies to help athletes after injuries, right? They come to me swollen and that's always the primary thing, right? If a client comes to you um, post-injury, they're swollen, one of the number one priorities, right, goals for rehab and their plan of care is to decrease pain, decrease swelling, improve range of motion. Like those are top three. Like you can't usually continue on to progressive loading of things and getting somebody back to performance without really impacting those first three goals. So I found that the more I understood the anatomy and the and when I was able to understand how to listen to the body better, the missing pieces to decreasing people's swelling was there. So um, to give you some context, previously to using this protocol, I felt like I did a pretty good job with swelling reduction. I would do soft tissue in the area. Let's use an ankle sprain as the example because one, that's most common and it's helpful to like talk about an actual body part um, when uh, when we're using this hypothetical. But so come they come to you with an ankle sprain, you know, whether it was that day, the day before, three days before, whatever it is, I would just start doing massage and especially to the calf lower extremity. It might be a lymphatic massage. It might be um, like a milking massage. And then also even deep tissue of the lower leg has always been super successful for it. Um, Would do manual lymph drainage. So Vodder's technique is is the technique that I have learned from another colleague and I'm most familiar with. So it's a very superficial technique um, aimed at the entire lymphatic system. It was always pretty helpful. And then we would use compression. So compression using sometimes game ready, compression with compression socks, compression with an ace bandage. We would oftentimes use like a horseshoe to provide some um, more like specific compression as opposed to just circumferential. And that was always really helpful too, especially getting the swelling out from around the malleoli. We would um, use electrical, like electric stimulation. Um, so maybe high volt or what my favorite one was actually using microcurrent. And I would use a microcurrent um, setting to facilitate lymph drainage. I would put one pad on the left thoracic duct and one pad below the injury. And that seemed to be pretty helpful too. 
And then the other strategies were um, elevation, of course, is always a great one, and compression using hydrotherapy. So we'd put them, put people in the pool and actually have them um, get as deep as possible so that the, the water pressure from the depth of the water could help with the decrease in swelling. That protocol was good. It was helpful, but it was like you needed to stay on top of it for multiple days in a row and like just hammer it for it to be successful. Then I started learning. Um, oh, and then and then we added in dry needling um, to the area too. So using like short needles in the area of swelling was also really also helpful for the lymphatic stimulation and very similar to using like kinesio tape in the area as well. So like the lifting of the skin and then along those lines too, oftentimes using the silicone dynamic cupping to do like a skin lift technique in the area was great. So then I learned, um, I started learning with the Baral Institute, more visceral manipulation techniques, and I learned the value of checking distal pulses. And what I started noticing as well is in the areas, um, especially from an ankle stand, ankle sprain standpoint, um, posterior tibialis pulse would almost be, um, like almost not be there, right? Like it was so diminished that I couldn't even feel it on palpation. But, um, and then what we learn in the Baral Institute that oftentimes when the posterior tibialis pulse is diminished, the problem is actually at the anterior hip. Um, and so I would do some work around the anterior hip and then recheck the pulse and the pulse was better. And then also the swelling started to go down already within the treatment session. And then I was noticing with a few of my patients who had chronic ankle sprain swelling, right? Chronic swelling in their ankles or chronic swelling in their knees. Oftentimes their locator tests, right? Like the LTAP took me or directed me to their liver. And when I treated their liver, same thing. Their posterior tibialis pulse would be restored and the swelling would already start leaving. So so then I started combining all the things that I knew worked really well. I would treat the thoracic duct area. So the left thoracic duct drains the lymph from the almost the entire body, like 75% of the body. So the left upper extremity, three quarters of the trunk, all of the trunk except for the right upper quarter. And then the pelvis in both lower extremities are all drained by the left thoracic duct. Whereas the right side veins and, and, and lymphatic um, structures drain the right upper extremity, the right upper chest, and the right side of the head. So I also, I missaid, um, the left side of the head is drained by the left thoracic duct as well. So I did some techniques to make sure that this area of the left thoracic duct was mobile, was open. There was no possible entrapments going on in the scalenes um, or the cer- uh, clavicular pectoral fascia, the mid-cervical fascia of the neck, the subclavius muscle, that's like a big, a big muscle that sometimes 
um, creates entrapment of the neurovascular structures in that area and decreases the space of um, the retroclavicular space, so the space behind the uh, clavicle um, at the thoracic inlet. So working on that is really important. The other area that I started doing treatment is around the liver. So the liver is interesting. One, it's an organ that is related to our fluid function, right? But also um, the liver and the diaphragm make a joint with each other. And um, so the function of the diaphragm is very um, dependent on a liver that is moving well. And the liver actually, when it's moving, the liver rotates around an axis that the axis is the vena cava, the abdominal aorta, and the cisterna chile, which is one of the main drainage spots for the lymphatic system. And so mobilizing the liver helps to free up that important neurolymphatic um, vascular area there as well as improved function of the diaphragm. And that three-dimensional breath is really important for the pumping of the lymphatics from that cisterna chile to the venous system, promoting um, improved flow to the zygous veins. And the zygous veins also are an important part of the venous and lymphatic system too. So um, focusing on treatment around the liver around the thoracolumbar um, junction was really powerful as well as you if you look at the thoracolumbar junction it is the area where we get the majority of our rotation in our trunk and it moves that area when we're rotating is moving through the what philip beach describes as the helical field and the helical field is the mechanical um, is the field that provides mechanical stimulation to our fluid field and our fluid organs to promote good fluid flow throughout the body. So our fluid organs are going to be the liver, the kidneys that are right in that same area, and then our breasts and our nipples. So in, in many animals, not humans, but in other mammals that have, um, mammary organs, they'll have multiple nipples going on this diagonal line. <clears throat> and that diagonal line happens to be also the borders of this rotational field in our body. So rotation, the movement of rotation tends to be a really powerful movement for fluid flow, which is sometimes too why um, just moving your body, walking can be so powerful for lymphatic drainage. Breathing can be so powerful for lymphatic drainage. So then the other parts of this protocol too is that anterior hip. So the area of the anterior hip specifically underneath the inguinal ligament, um, ensuring that the space under the inguinal ligament allows for good free mobility of the neurovascular and lymphatic structures at the front of the hip. So the femoral artery, nerve, and vein, and then lymphatics right there. Again, like big lymph nodes in that um, adductor canal, right? Another area is the other end of the adductor canal. So the other end of the adductor canal is called the adductor hiatus. It's about four of your fingers, four fingers 
um, above the medial knee joint on the inside, the medial side of your thigh. That is another great access point to free up and make sure things, the neurovascular and lymphatic structures are free to flow. Um, and then the lower leg, the lower leg, because it's sort of like, because of gravity, where lymph and fluid tend to always get congested, it's also a very powerful pump. You need the muscular pumping action to help the pumping of the lymphatics out of that area, as well as the blood flow to and from that area, right? Um, so doing deep tissue on the lower leg and, and really supporting the lower leg to not let the spaces between the compartments fill up with swelling is extremely important. So even when it's not like an ankle sprain that we're talking about, even when it's the knee, doing deep tissue and doing work to decrease swelling in the low leg is really important because it is just, I think of the lower extremity, the lower legs being like these really powerful pumps for the lymphatic system, as powerful as the diaphragm is. I think many of you may know that the diaphragm is a powerful pump for the lymphatic system, but not appreciate that the lower leg compartments, the lower leg function is also a very powerful pump too. So those are the key spots in the movement rev swelling reduction protocol. The thoracic duct area, left thoracic duct specifically for most of the body, but right if you have an injury or swelling in the right upper quarter or right side of the head and neck. Um, the area around the liver and the thoracolumbar junction. The area of the anterior hip. The adductor canal, both at the proximal point at the adductor hip and the distal portion at the adductor hiatus. The lower leg, actually specifically the anterior compartment, um, the intersection there between at the proximal tib-fib joint is another powerful area uh, to free up for neurovascular flow. And um, that's it. Those are the main spots. So instead of relying just on compression, we're freeing all the neurovascular structures so the fluid is free to flow. You know it is flowing freely when distal pulses are, are restored. So whenever I'm treating someone, every time I treat an area, whether it's the thora left thoracic duct, the liver area, the thoracolumbar junction, the tib-fib joint, the adductor hiatus, the proximal adductor canal under the inguinal ligament. Every time I treat one location, I am then monitoring the distal pulse. So posterior tibialis pulse for the lower extremity. That's going to be really helpful for lower extremity issues, but then also just to give me a general idea of flow of the entire lymphatic system because again, those low legs are important pumps for the whole system. But if it's an upper extremity issue, you might want to also check the distal pulses being the radial pulse. And so we're trying to restore normal pulse, which brings me to the topic of what is normal pulse? Um, that is tough. It's, uh, it's tough to know what someone's normal pulse quality is if you've never felt it before. So I tend to feel the pulses on all my athletes. I have a very good idea of what their normal quality of their pulse is. 
Some people's pulse are very faint. Some are very loud. It depends on a lot of things. But you will know because sometimes the pulse when something is entrapped or congested will be diminished. But sometimes when uh, vascular structure is entrapped, the pulse will be louder. In fact, that is exactly how we test someone's pulse, right? When we feel the radial pulse, we're pushing the artery into the bone. We're sort of clamping it down. And this makes the reverberation of the pulse rate to be more palpable in our hands. So I don't know on someone if a really loud or a really diminished pulse is abnormal. All I'm looking for is a change in pulse. So if somebody comes to me post ankle sprain and I don't feel their pulse at all, I'm trying to restore it. If their pulse is really loud or different than the other side, I'm just staying curious to see what happens after treatment, both with their pulse and then also with the swelling in the area. What you'll notice is the swelling will start to leave and which is almost like you blink your eye and then you look again and it's like, holy cow, I just looked here and your ankle was swollen and now it's not swollen at all. Um, and then recheck the pulse because now you're going to have a better idea of what is normal for them. And then that will be your target to what you're trying to get for every treatment. So um, this, it's funny, you know, I used to just get, I, I would do this on my athletes and they would love it because they would sprain their ankle and it, they would be out of um, practice for like a day or two days and then be able to go back to practice again. And, you know, what happens though is um, when you get rid of swelling quickly, um, things can be a lot more painful because sometimes um, there's not a lot of pain in the area because the swelling stretches the skin and provides like a pain relieving response. It's almost like the gate theory of pain control. The skin, the stretch receptors are giving so much information that the nociception from the pain of the injury is actually blunted. But when the swelling leaves, now the nociception is oftentimes a little bit louder. And so I do warn my athletes, like, we can get rid of your swelling really fast, but the next day you might wake up and actually be more sore. In fact, almost always you will wake up the next day and be more sore. Most of them will trade soreness and pain for mobility, function, decrease swelling, and be able to play again. And so this is just some a conversation to have. Um, and it was funny because we were getting these results and my athletes were seeing their teammates go down with things like ankle sprains and then miss practices and miss games. And they were getting so frustrated because they were like, I wish they knew the swelling protocol because they don't have to miss practices and they don't have to miss games and I want to help them out. And so, you know, I was like, you know what? I agree. I don't really... I don't really feel like this is my information to hoard. And so I emailed my entire email list and I gave everyone step-by-step protocol for it. And then people started emailing me back and being like, oh my gosh, this is magical. Sending me pictures of people's, you know, ankles, knees, wrists, shoulders before and after. And the results were just as magical for everybody else too. And that was just so cool to see. And so that is why I created um, the swelling reduction uh, protocol course. And 
the protocol itself. Um, and then I also have two regen sessions that are um, based on the swelling reduction protocol. So because I also want to empower the athlete to be able to treat their swelling on their own, not have to always rely on a healthcare practitioner um, because sometimes that's not possible, right? A lot of my athletes travel and travel to foreign countries where they don't have access to things sometimes. And so I wanted to make it doable for them too. So every one of those key areas, it doesn't really matter what treatment you do. It doesn't have to be a manual therapy treatment. It can be an exercise. It can be a movement. It can be a self-massage, right? So um, as long as we're targeting those spots, we're going to see a decrease in that swelling. Anyways, um, I hope that was helpful. Uh, it's It really is magical. I don't want people to have... Um, oh, I didn't even really talk about it, but um, one of the other magical things about the swelling reduction pro- protocol is its ability to help optimize healing. Because if things are stagnant, right? If things are congested, that also means blood flow to the area is not getting there. And the blood flow is what's going to help heal. And so I've had many people that have had like delayed healing and fractures, non-unions of fractures. And I'll check their pulses and they'll be abnormal. We'll do the swelling protocol, swelling reduction protocol, restore their pulses. And then they go back, get, you know, in a week or two to the doctor get x-rays and now their bone is finally healing and so improving that blood flow is so important not just to decrease swelling but actually to facilitate and optimize the healing response and so that's what we all really want in the first place so this this swelling program i love sharing it i love talking about it because it it works so well for acute injuries, for chronic injuries, for people with just general lymphatic congestion, and also for helping with healing of things that have a hard time healing, like those non-union fractures, like tendonitis type things that already don't get great blood flow, meniscus tears, things like that. So important to restore good optimal blood flow, fluid flow throughout the body. So hopefully this was helpful and gave you some strategies that you can use um, in your clinic or in your athletic training room and with your athletes, clients, or even on yourself. Thank you for joining me. We'll see you next time.